reading this morning comes from 1 Timothy, chapter 6, commencing at verse 6, and we should be able to find that on page 1195 of the Pew Bibles. But godliness with contention, contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for, monetary, for, for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Here's our reading. Good morning, everyone. Great to be here. Let me just get myself organised. Now, I wanted to just update the church about the roof project uh, before we start. Um, one of the things we've done a little bit differently this year because it's the biggest, if I can say, goal financially we've had in terms of fundraising uh, was I asked the staff and the parish council, there's about 24 involved at that level, uh, if they could put in their pledges for their gifts towards the roof in advance. And we've also had a couple of early gifts come in and I'm very pleased to say so far we've had $47,000, 450 come in, which is a great result. Uh, and if I can say very encouraging to see, if I can say the leadership is right behind this and uh, we believe in the ministry of the church here and they've voted with their pockets to put their money in. So if I can just encourage you in two weeks' time uh, to get your card in, uh, in terms of both pledging for ministry uh, along with um, gifts towards the roof and I'm very confident that we can achieve this goal uh, to financially underwrite getting the roof redone. As you know, we've started in faith uh, and the project's going very well. They're moving ahead uh, with great speed and we are on track to have it finished, I think, in about the first week of December. Now secondly, if I can just say the Treasurer's report is here for the third quarter, so you've got three quarters of the finances. I'm going to make mention of that in a tick. Uh, but I want to talk today about contentment. And contentment is um, it's a great topic to talk on. Every time at this year, I always address the topic of money uh, and what the Christian has to, if I can say, do with that. I want to do it slightly different this year through the lens of contentment. And the reason for this is there's no doubt in my mind that when it comes to money and giving, the church has made some enormous strides forward in a positive way in terms of our stewardship of finances here at St Matthews. And it's worth saying financially we've had our best year ever in my memory and from people I talk to who've been here a long time uh, in living memory. And if you have a look at the report, please be encouraged by that. Uh, for the first time in the history of the church in living memory, we've actually been able to pay our way without dependence upon the shop property money. Now that's been an incredible blessing for two reasons. One is the shop property money turns off in two months' time. It's the 1st of November. It stops on the 1st of January. Secondly, what that's mean in terms of the uh, surplus that we've accumulated, that in effect is making a huge um, effort in terms of the other side of paying off the roof because it's a project that is going to cost $450,000. And so the result for this year has been incredibly beneficial and incredibly positive and it's because the church is giving generously and I want to say uh, thank you 
And uh, if I can say well done, if that's all right, um, it's a great thing to see. Uh, And that's on top of what was last year our largest mission offering ever that funded not one year but two years of our non-tax deductible mission partners. And that's been an incredible blessing. And then on top of that, one of the things that you don't see but that I do get to see is the incredible way people are generous to those in need in terms of pastoral care. And the reality of life is, here at Manly, we've got people who've got much, we've got people who've got very little. And what I really love to see is the way people are sharing uh, their wealth so that those who are in very difficult circumstances are being cared for and looked after. And sometimes that's been a very long journey that they've been with people helping them. And I want to say it's an incredible witness to the reality of God at work here when you see people caring for those in need just because they care. And so today I want to look at the whole area of contentment. I think it's a very important topic to look at uh, as we address this topic. But I want to say even though we've had very positive uh, results this year, even though I see incredible generosity, we must not be proud And I think this is one topic that you have to keep coming back to the Word of God and just having the Word of God examine our hearts and hearing what God would have to say to us on this very important topic because in the culture we live in, the desire to not be generous is all around us. And so let's think this morning about being generous and contentment as we reflect on walking with God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Open our eyes this morning to see the wonders that are contained in your word and give us hearts that rejoice and obey what we read. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we think about contentment this morning, uh, I've got one text, it's only about six words there, seven words, that I want us to reflect on. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now it comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 6. We're going to look at that passage along with the Philippians 1. If you've got your Bibles, open them up. We're page 1195. But today I want to try and convince you of the benefit of believing this verse and not just believing it but putting it into practice in your life. Because what it's saying is that godliness is not enough if you're a Christian. To be a godly person is to be a person who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ and reflects his character in their life. But apparently, Paul is saying, that's actually not enough. Paul says here, you need to have something else to go with being godly, and that thing that we need to have with it is contentment. And what he's saying is, if you actually have contentment with godliness, there's enormous gain to be achieved in life. So why do we need contentment as well? Because the Christian faith is as much about our actions and behaviour as it is about our hearts and what we cherish. And biblically speaking, what our hearts do and the things that we cherish will actually affect all of our life, body and soul. You see, we give ourselves to what we love and worship. And that affects us for good or for evil, for better or worse. You see, what your heart finds contentment in will actually flavour the entire colour of your life. 
And so today, what we're going to be doing is looking at our hearts. Where do we really seek contentment in life? Well, let me start by asking, what does it mean to be content? What is contentment? Now, contentment, if you want a definition, is to be satisfied. It's to enjoy a balance between one's desires and their actual fulfilment. To be content is to infect uh, is in effect to experience freedom from want. In other words, uh, the things that we desire in life are matched by our actual experience of that. There's a sense of which we are content. We're happy with our lot. We're not desiring and not achieving. Now, if you're a fan of Shakespeare, and if you've read King Henry VI, you may remember this scene. It's in part three. And King Henry is wandering in the gardens. He's got no crown on. He doesn't look like a king. And the two gamekeepers come up and they address him. They want to know who he is. And he says, I'm the king. And they ask him, where is your crown? And King Henry gives this response. My crown is in my heart, not on my head. Not decked with diamonds and precious stones, nor to be seen. My crown is called content. A crown it is that seldom kings enjoy. My crown is called content. A crown it is that seldom kings enjoy. Today we need to look at the attitudes of our heart. Do we wear a crown called content? Or are we restless and greedy. Because the Bible's challenge to us this day is that we might have godliness with contentment. And there's three things I want to say to us this morning from this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Firstly, the promise of contentment is great gain. Secondly, the enemy of contentment is greed. And thirdly, the pathway to contentment. Firstly, The promise of contentment, great gain. When you read through the Bible, it's an incredible book. There's all manner of styles of genre of literature. But one of the things that will keep coming through in all the pages of Scripture is that there are promises in there for those who will believe in God. And as you come to the New Testament, as for those who will believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ... There's the promise of eternal life that is founded in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. There is the promise of hope that comes through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. There is the promise of forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the promise of life. There's all sorts of promises. But here Paul says there is a promise of great gain. Now the interesting thing is the word gain comes from the financial arena or the accounting arena. And it's a word that in the original culture literally meant profit. You think of an accounting profit. That's what he's talking about. In other words, what Paul is offering or promising is the secret to get rich. That's what he's saying. You see, godliness with contentment will bring you profit. It will bring you riches. But it's not the riches or the profits in a financial sense that we might think of. In fact... He's actually critiquing a view of the Christian faith that sees being godly as a means to financial gain. Have a look at verse 5, which gives you the context for this statement. He's talking about people there 
in verse 4 that have become conceited and understand nothing, they have an unhealthy interest in quarrels, etc., etc. There's constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think godliness is a means to financial gain. Same word, financial profit. In other words, there's this stream of people that was there in Paul's day, and it's interesting, you still see it in the church today in some areas, that think being godly will lead you to financial gain. And Paul is here to say, actually, no, you've got that wrong. Godliness with contentment will bring you gain. It will bring you profit. It will make you rich, but not in the sense of financial riches. We'll come to what he says shortly. You see, contentment in the Greek thought of the day meant self-sufficiency and there were philosophers who were called the Stoics. It's where we get the word Stoic from, to kind of just battle on in life when things are hard. We're Stoic. And the Stoic philosophers said to be content meant that you were self-sufficient. You weren't affected by the externals of life, be it finances, be it health, be it well-being. There was a sense of which inside your inner resources, you found your strength and contentment. You could cope. For Paul, there's no doubt a similarity. Being content means freeing ourselves from reliance upon externals like money, like happiness, like security. But unlike the Stoic philosophers of the day, the security and the happiness and the joy is not found internally. It's found in Jesus Christ. Just turn back with me to page 1181, Philippians chapter 4. And Paul here is giving you his own kind of autobiographical reflection on contentment. And he says in chapter 4, verse 10, I've learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. In other words, irregardless of the external circumstances, I could be rich, I could be poor, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now that's a well-quoted verse. The context for it is this, you see, I can do everything in the sense of I'm content. And I'm not affected by whether I'm rich or poor, in good or bad circumstances. I'm content. Why? Because Christ gives me my contentment. I find my sufficiency and joy in knowing him. And it means that no matter what happens in life, Paul is saying, you can be content, you can be happy, you can have joy. Whether you've got riches or whether you've got poverty, whether you've got good health, whether you've got poor health. In easy times or tough times, the external circumstances of life actually won't pull you down. There's a joy and a purpose and a meaning to life that actually transcends the circumstances that we go through. And according to Paul, the secret is found in Christ. That's where you find real riches. You see, he's the one who gives us that strength and perspective. He's the one who gives us joy and hope and love and wisdom. And security, there's an incredible richness that we have in Christ. And by his Holy Spirit, he ministers that reality into our hearts. 
such that we can say along with the Apostle Paul, actually I too can do all things through him who strengthens me, through Jesus Christ. I can have plenty or I can be in want, but my happiness and joy is not dependent upon this. I'm content in Christ. And so godliness with contentment actually is great gain, enormous gain. Why? Because it will free you from the shackles of materialism, the shackles of greed and the shackles of worry and anxiety. The promise of contentment, there's great gain, there's great profit. But secondly, the enemy of contentment is greed. Have a look at 1 Timothy 6 verse 7. You see, this is what he says straight after saying, godliness with contentment is great gain. He says, we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. Now, they're famous words that are enshrined in the funeral service. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And it's interesting, whenever he talks about contentment in the Christian faith, he is often also reflecting on finances. You see, the love of money is the root of all evil. And that's worth saying, and nowhere does it ever say this, the possession of money is not evil. To be rich is not evil. The question, though, is how we view our money and what we do with our money. Money's a reality of life. It's neither good nor bad. It's what value we attach to it. And so what is greed? Well, I think greed is two things. It's the grabbing for money and the grabbing for material possessions. We just want more. And greed is also the keeping of money and material possessions. We don't just want more. We want to treasure them and we want to hoard them and we want to hold on to them and just use them for our own benefit. We grab it and we keep it. And when it comes to money, I think we do two things. And you see this through the scriptures. We worship it and we trust it. We worship it in the sense, not that, if I can say, you'll see people wandering down the corso going, oh, thou great and mighty MasterCard, I am your wonderful servant. No, we don't do that. We don't get out our dollar bills and uh, say, oh, how wonderful it is to have cash in my hand. I love you. No, it's a lot more subtle than that. We worship it because we think it will give us access to meaning and happiness in life. We love it for what we think it will do for us. And you see, to worship something is to serve something. And there is absolutely no doubt it is one of the foundation cultural markers of our Western society. People worship and serve money because they genuinely think it will provide happiness and opportunity for meaning and security. And you see, that's the second thing, we trust it. We have a culture that thinks a healthy bank balance will give you security. 
And you'll see all kinds of images like this. Now, this is one advertising investment in real estate. Secure your future, safeguard your retirement with real estate. Now, I could put a whole manner of images up that you'll see in the advertising arena that are advertising you security through some sort of financial means. Because the basic, if I can say, premise of our society is you will have security if you've got a healthy bank balance or healthy stock portfolio or healthy real estate portfolio. And that will give you the security in your life. It's born out of a worldview called materialism that says all there is in this world is the material existence that we experience every day. And there is no such thing as a God and a spiritual world and a spiritual realm and importantly, life after death. And you see, this is the air we breathe. It's materialism. And it engenders in us greed. Because we typically think money will give us the meaning and happiness that we desire in life. And there's nothing wrong with wanting meaning and happiness in your life. It's the way we're wired. The problem is we look in the wrong place. And there's nothing wrong with wanting security in life. We absolutely, naturally, and rightly desire that. The problem is we look in the wrong place for security. Instead of God, we think our bank account will provide it. And that's why we struggle with greed, because money has a power over us. Now have a listen to this illustration. It's a true story. It's not anyone you'll know, and it's not anyone from any of my ministry contexts past or present. But a counsellor was talking to a man and his wife, and they were having problems with their daughter, behavioural issues. And they talked about that and they looked at the issues and everything seemed to be okay. They couldn't quite work out where the problem was. And they got to talking about the father and what what role he might have had in the problems the daughter was experiencing. And as they talked, the counsellor found out that the dad was working 15 hours a day, seven days a week. And on top of that, people were often ringing at night, even in the middle of the night, to ask him things. And as he sat in the counselling room, he looked ill. He said, when asked why he was looking that way, well, it's just the work. And the counsellor said to him, well, can't you cut it down? It doesn't look to be doing you much good. What if you say, that's it, forget it, I'm going to go somewhere else? Listen to the reply. He said, I did say that last year and they put my salary up 25%. And how do you walk away from that? Think about that. You see, what's going on? There's an irresistible force. I can't walk away from it. And you see, that's the power of money that has over us. Because of what we think it will do for us. And you see, greed in the Bible is what you might call an unseen sin. Now, you can tell if someone's alcoholic, typically, because you can observe their life and you can actually smell them. It's a very observable sin at that level. But you see, the problem with greed is, um, you might be sitting next to someone who's greedy this morning, but you just don't know it, do you? 
Now, I'm not asking you to look at them and ask that question of them. They should rightly ask that of you. But you see, it's a sin, an unseen one of the heart. And you see, the problem is, if I asked you, are you greedy? This is what I'll naturally do. I'll think of someone else who I think is more greedy. And I'll think, oh, they're greedy, I'm not. Rather than actually asking the honest question about myself, and we're going to come to that at the end of the service. And you see, the interesting thing when you read the Bible is, the Bible talks about sins in different ways. And the fascinating thing about greed is, Jesus warns us about it. Luke chapter 12, verse 15 is a famous parable about greed. If you haven't read it, go home and read it. It's about the rich fool. And the context for it is that a man comes to Jesus and asks him about the divvying up of an inheritance. In other words, there's a fight over a will. Classic. It happens in Australia all the time. Someone dies, we love them, but actually we love their money more. And we want as much as we can get and we don't want them to have it. Well, that's what's happening. And Jesus says these words, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And you see, it's interesting, Jesus and the apostles don't warn us about other sins that way. You take adultery. They don't say, be on your guard against the adultery. They just say, don't do it, avoid it. And you see, you think about adultery. You don't just wake up after you've slept with another man or woman and go, oh, good grief, you're not Kathy. How did that happen? I was sure you were Kathy when I got naked with you in bed just five minutes ago. You've changed. Now, that doesn't happen, does it? Let me say, that's not happened for me either. I just want to put that on the record. You see, you go to bed naked with them knowing that that's not your wife or not your husband, don't you? And you're committing it. And that's why when the Bible addresses it, says, flee from it, just don't do it. But with, a, with greed, it warns us. Beware of this. It can affect you without you even realising. And you see, greed is the air we breathe. Here's just a little stat on advertising messages. The average number of advertisements and brand exposures per day, and it is debated, but this is one of the figures that I think is reasonable, uh, they decided it was about 5,000. Now, when I'm saying 5,000, and you think about how many that is every hour, it's a lot, uh, that might be a logo. And you see, logos are incredibly important to companies because they are a very subtle form of advertising. It might be a logo, it could be just a brand exposure, it could be an ad. 5,000. Average number of ads only. Take the logos out because we're surrounded by advertising at that level. About 362. Now, the average number of ads only that you actually note, in other words, the ones that you register is 153, which tells you there's 210 that you don't note that are just going in anyway. Uh, the average number of ads that you actually have an awareness of, awareness of the day is 86. Now, it happens to me all the time. Uh, two of the apps I've been looking at is the A-League, because I like soccer, and the Rugby World Cup. Congratulations, Kiwis. You did deserve the win anyway. Um, it's been a fun journey. But I keep getting these annoying banner ads down the bottom, even when I'm trying to just check a score for a football game. And you see, this is the world we live in. Now, the average number of ads that make an impression on us, in other words, we go, ooh, I like that. There's 12 every day. And you see, advertising works by trying to create a sense of need to make you think that you don't have enough, that you need bigger or better. Have a think about the TV show programs that we watch. Now, you think about Better Homes and Gardens. They don't entitle it Average Home and Garden, do they? You don't need any more for your home and garden. 
here's an average house that's got a few problems, but you know what? They're happy inside and they don't need to fix it up. It kind of doesn't work well with advertising, does it? No, you've got to have better homes and gardens because what's the whole message? You need a better home. You need a better garden. You're watching, you go, oh, I've got to go and fix something up. When before the program, you were completely content. I didn't know I needed to fix up my barbecue. I thought it worked fine cooking the steak last week, but apparently not. With this in mind, here is a summary of what the Bible teaches on greed. And I want to say, I need to hear this as much as you. At the end of the passage we're looking at today, Paul just says to Timothy, flee, flee greed. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, he says, amongst other sins, he said, greed is actually idolatry and we must put it to death. Mark chapter 7, Jesus, when reflecting on our problems, says they're not external. The problems that we have, our sin is of the heart, it's internal and greed will defile you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, Paul, in reflecting on us before we come to Christ, says, you know what? Greed is evidence of a darkened mind. In Luke chapter 12, verse 16, that great parable I spoke to you about, he says, the greedy store up their goods wanting bigger and better, whatever it is, and his verdict on it is foolish. Because that man will now have to stand before God and give account for his life. Micah says, actually, greed leads to social injustice. The poverty in the world is actually a social justice problem driven by greed. Ecclesiastes 5, Solomon says that whoever loves money will actually never have enough. And that's what you say to people, how much money do you need? And what's the phrase that comes back? Just a little bit more. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. It's a meaningless pursuit is stamped upon that endeavour, says Solomon. And this is why Jesus says you can either love money or you can love God. You can either serve one or you can serve the other. You can't have it both ways. And he instructs us to store up treasure in heaven and not on earth because all the stuff we buy and hoard will eventually rot away and rust and be stolen. And as the saying goes, you cannot take a removalist truck with you to heaven. I conduct funerals here. The only thing that goes is the body in the box. It's a sobering reality. You cannot take it with you. So how do we become content as people? Because Paul says we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Well, I want to give us three ways to being content this morning. Firstly, believe the gospel and worship Jesus. Greed and contentment are issues of our heart. We have to understand that. You can't just stop being greedy. You actually need to address your heart and what you worship and what you trust in. And you see, to do that and to stop being greedy, you actually need to start believing the gospel and worshipping the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You see, what the gospel says to us is we actually have it all in Christ. We are rich in him. And we need to worship him with everything we have, including our wallets and credit cards and bank balances. And today, I just want to encourage you about how rich you actually are in Christ. This is how rich you are. You actually have the wisdom of God at your disposal in the word of God and in the fellowship of his people. Do you know that? That's how rich you are. You have wisdom that the world does not have about how life works and about how to be a wise and lead a good life. That's the wisdom we have in Christ through his word. We are so rich with wisdom. We're rich with strength. Do you know that? The spirit of God enters our life. The spirit of the resurrected Christ who conquered death and he gives us a strength to overcome so that we can actually overcome greed. We can overcome addiction. We can overcome our sins in the strength that Christ provides. And we can be changed from within. We have a rich strength in Christ. And you know what? He is our joy. God loves us. I was talking to someone this week and I said to him, the thing I really want to say to you is, did you know God loves you? I just want you to be that to be your strength this week. And you see, that's the riches we have. We actually not just know God, we know his love and his love is poured into our hearts. We have his joy and we have his protection. That's the incredible thing. You see, when you are with Christ, if Christ is for you, the Bible says, actually, who can be against you? That's how rich you are. There is no force in this world or in the world to come, in the physical world or the spiritual world that can take Christ away from you. We have protection, we have hope. The grave is empty, the tomb, the stone was rolled away. Christ is risen, he's in heaven. He will one day return. We have an eternal security and hope in Christ, one at the cross, purely by grace. And here's the most wonderful thing, you can walk with him every day. Jesus said, one of the most profound words to his disciples and they're true for us too. He says, actually, you're my friends. And he is our friend. Friends, that's the riches that we have in Christ. Do you believe it? Do you really believe that your eternity is secure? Worship Jesus. Secondly, learn to live with limits. I think one of the defining marks of our culture, another one is this, we're encouraged to live limitless lives. Keep adding the experiences as much as you can get. It's the whole philosophy of the bucket list. Just work out how many great things you can achieve. Get better. Get bigger. Upsize it, supersize it. You see, that's our culture, isn't it? limitless living it's actually the exact opposite of living as a christian have a look at this verse it's probably one you're not familiar with because it's in leviticus and i understand it's not the sexiest book leviticus a lot of laws some very helpful ones though have a look at this when you reap the harvest of your land it's obviously set in an agricultural setting but the principle is true for us today when you reap the harvest of your land do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the cleanings 
of the harvest. And I'll read on from verse 10. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. The principle was this. Limit yourself so that you can give to others in need. Now this principle is the opposite of greed. Greed says get as much as you can. Live with no limits. Christians, where to be the opposite? We don't actually need to drive the best cars. We don't actually need to have the best toys. We don't actually need to eat at the most expensive restaurants or have the most expensive food. We don't have to have holidays overseas all the time. We don't have to have the biggest houses. And the list could go on and on and on. We actually don't have to have the best. We can live with limits. And not just can, we're actually instructed to live with limits. Why? So that then you can be generous. Look, for us, it came home personally when we thought about our housing. We had a house in Wollongong. We wanted to think about living in Sydney in retirement. And one of the things, and we just purchased a place um, start of the year as we sold and bought. And I said to Kath, I want to make sure we do not overextend ourselves with our mortgage. And one of the reasons was I just don't want the anxiety of it, to have to worry about money all the time. But there was a more important principle. I don't want to be so stretched that I can't give. I don't want to be so stretched that I can't give. I want to live with limits. Because that then enables us to give to others. It's a very important principle. We must limit ourselves and say to ourselves, actually, I'm happy with what I've got. And I can tell you, everyone here, probably 99% of us, does not need to go and buy new clothing. And you think about all the stuff we spend our money on and what we'd save so that we could give if we limited ourselves. Lastly, be generous. You see, greed is about getting and keeping Contentment is actually about giving. Being happy with what you've got so that you can give to others in need. And we fight greed by being generous. It's the medicine for the greedy soul. So how do you know whether you're greedy or generous? Well, just check your financial statement and ask yourself, as you read through your past month and your MasterCard or whatever it is, what did you spend your money on? It's a good question to ask. The Duke of Wellington, he's the Duke that won the Battle of Waterloo. A book was written about him and the biographer was searching and researching about the Duke and one of the interesting things that he discovered regarding the Duke was some old check stubs and when he made this discovery he said when I saw how he spent his money I knew the man when I saw how he spent his money I knew the man and you see isn't that so true you know a person by what they spend their money on And I think a really important question we need to ask ourselves and not our neighbour is what do we find it easiest to spend money on? Is it yourself or is it others? Is it to buy more clothes or is it to help someone in need? Is it to contribute to the growth of the gospel and the ministry or is it to go on an overseas holiday? Generous giving is medicine for the soul. You see, when you start giving, it changes how you feel about things and stuff and people and finances and you realise, actually, I'm meant to be a steward 
And all the blessings I have are so that I can honour God and glorify him. And part of that, yes, is providing for our needs and looking after our family. But another part is actually saying, actually, I'm going to bless others. I'm going to support the ministry here because I want the church to grow. I'm going to support mission organisations out of here. I'm going to support people in need and the poor. And so what does generous giving look like in the Bible? Well, if you're not familiar with it, it starts at 10%. That's the tithe. But that was true in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the tithe is replaced by generosity, which surely can't be less than 10%. And so what we do is we give 10% first up to the ministry here. And I never see it. I just take it out and it's gone. And then we want to give to things over and above that. And the funny thing is, when I don't see the 10%, I don't even miss it. And then I think I can save some money. We can give some money away to other things. And I actually like this time of year because it it forces me to kind of reassess my finances. I think I need to do this and that. And so Kathy and I want to live being generous with limits. Because you see, we have it all in Christ. And I want to learn contentment in that. Do you really think money will save you and make you happy? Or do you really believe the gospel and that in Christ you're eternally secure and amazingly rich? Godliness with contentment is actually great gain. I'm going to stop right now. And I just wonder if contentment is an issue you're struggling with. And I just want us to be quiet for a minute to think and just reflect on your heart and your life. And then I'm going to pray for us. So let's just be quiet for a moment and close our eyes and, and just ask the question, am I a person who's content in Christ? Or are there things I need to change in my heart and life? Friends, in a moment I'm going to invite those who would like special prayer for contentment just to stand. And it may not be for financial reasons, it may be circumstantial reasons, you're just struggling to be content. But I want us to respond to God this morning. And if you need to find contentment in Christ, in life, I'm just going to invite you to stand now. As people's eyes are closed. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I'm just going to leave another 10 seconds. If there's any others who would like special prayer for being content. I'm going to pray for you right now. Father, I do thank you for these people who have identified just in their soul and hearts, an unease, a restlessness, a discontent. Thank you for their honesty this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would just give them a contentment in you, that they would know 
the riches of knowing Christ and worshipping him. Fill them with joy and peace in believing and just assurance that they are your children. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Friends, if any other things you need prayer for, the prayer team's going to be down here at the front. They're going to come forward while the song's being sung. But if you need prayer for anything, we would love to pray with you. So come forward during the singing of the song, which is our last song. It's the work of ministry that we take the collection up for, for those who don't give electronically.